0: What's up everyone, welcome to the Life Christian Church. My name is Christian, I'm our director of pastoral ministries, and I'm so excited to be able to spend some time with you this morning talking about courageous characters in the Bible. Our lead pastor, Terry Smith, is on his yearly study intensive for a few weeks, planning out the next few months for TLCC, so I hope that you'll be praying for him in this time. I hope you've enjoyed our pastoral team leading us through conversations and stories about courageous characters throughout the Bible who have exemplified unique kinds of courage. I know that I've been challenged in a positive way over these past few weeks with the story of the Apostle Paul and Tabitha or Dorcas, and I hope that you've been inspired as well. So in 1516, a guy named Sir Thomas More who I'm sure many of you know of, wrote a novel called Utopia. And in this story, the author, more fictionally, travels with companions as they discuss the ills of European society, and they contrast it to this crescent moon-shaped island that exists in the new world that is perfect beyond belief. And on this island... Everything is great, the government and how it works, the ways in which justice is enacted, the economics, the morals, and so on. But few people can get to this perfect utopia island because when the island was mentioned for the first time, someone coughed in the middle of giving the longitude and the latitude. So. Few people ever made it to this perfect place. Now, this book, first of all, kicked off a lot of the utopian movies and novels that we actually see today. These pictures of a perfect land or perfect people living in harmony. And it also helped to kick off the antithesis, the dystopian movies of an apocalyptic future and so on and so forth. But more importantly, for our purposes, it represented a cultural belief in its time uh, to where we could think our way and organize our way into perfection. In fact, for the last few hundred years, uh, humanity kind of lived under this notion of utopian progressivism, where through intellectual and scientific enlightenment, we as individuals could learn enough And if we could use that learning and then do enough to get to some sense of a utopian perfectionism. America even kind of represented part of this dream with ideas like manifest destiny. Get rid of all the bad stuff, whatever's perceived to be bad, and make and develop our way into something perfect. It was a process of making things right. There was this sense that progress and growth was a linear process forward, and with enough of the goods, we could all get there. But this cultural belief was naturally destroyed at the beginning of the 20th century, when a world war unlike anything we had ever imagined took off, it was followed by a Great Depression, and then followed by another world war unlike anything we could imagine. This historical reality showed something fundamentally true about humanity. The dream of a linear path to perfection is just that, a dream. I believe, however, that we as individuals still often think this way because of our inherited cultural thought as we live our lives and we learn more and we're in the right places, at the right time, doing the right things, and when we are given the resources that we need from birth, we think that we will experience a linear path of, cro- of progress to become all that we want to be. We have the opportunity for this linear progress to perfection. Perfection. However, as history has shown us on a very broad scale, and as our lives have shown us on a smaller scale, the path of progress is circuitous. It does not operate in a straight line. We're inevitably going to experience difficulties and struggles and failures no matter what. But if our expectation is of linear growth, and we experience the inevitable falling off, then we might be faced with the temptation to jump ship or to leave the path of progress that we're supposed to be on and to try and jump onto a new path, perhaps a wrong path or the new fad of a path that's being presented to us and that presents the easiest trek. In order to continue on the path that God has for you, I believe that we need courage because the path That life actually presents us is one filled with risks and difficulties and inevitable failings on our parts. But to continue forward amidst the difficulties, we have to humbly and faithfully and courageously continue to battle forward. Now, I think that the Apostle Peter is one of the best biblical characters to tell of this sort of courage. uh, A courage that fights amidst the failings. And Peter, though he was one of the founders of the church, he was one who was in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. He continually and majorly failed all throughout his journey. But he had the courage to trust Christ and follow the plan even though it was not even close to a straight or linear path for him. See, Peter started in an extremely humble beginning. He was a Jewish fisherman, which would have meant he was kind of like a middle-class worker. He would have been uneducated, not of a noble birth or anything like that. In the midst of fishing one day, just working a normal day, this guy Jesus, he calls out to him to drop his net and to follow him, for they were going to do something great. And Jesus was going to make him a fisher of men. This is in some way indicative of who Peter was. He was a hard man, a brash man. He would make what would appear to be irrational decisions or he was ready to do something crazy. He drops his nets and he follows after Jesus, this random guy who simply told him to. Now, Peter had likely heard something about Jesus. Maybe he'd seen something about who Jesus was or heard stories about him around town, but he had no absolute understanding of who Jesus was. Yet he follows him when Jesus calls him to him. And then once he does follow him and tries to get in on this thing that Jesus is doing that might be kind of cool, Jesus proceeds then immediately to go to a synagogue. He begins teaching with authority, casting out unclean spirits from people, And now you have to imagine the perspective of Peter, who's blown away at this new man who he was following. Now, you may think, well, it shouldn't be too hard for Peter to follow Jesus. Jesus is standing right in front of him. And with what we know now of Jesus, that makes a lot of sense. But in Peter's context, it wasn't clear at all that he should be following Jesus. We have to realize that this was completely new and wild. No one had a conception of who Jesus was or who he was going to be. In fact, uh, in the book of Matthew, Peter follows Jesus, starts following him in chapter four, but he doesn't understand who Jesus is until chapter 16. And even in that sense, he understands he's the Messiah, but not what the Messiah was going to look like and what he was going to do. Meaning there's 12 chapters of Peter following after Christ with no real understanding of what he's actually doing. And within those 12 chapters, Peter becomes a part of the inner core of the disciples. Uh, He's seeing miraculous things. He's a part of miraculous things. Peter's the one who walks on the water to get to Jesus and kinds of fails, but he had the courage at least to go and try and do it. He questions Jesus throughout him following him. He questions his knowledge, his teachings. He rebukes Jesus. He's rebuked by Jesus. This is the story of Peter. Even though he ends up becoming the rock of the church, as Christ says, you see this circuitous and winding and difficult and confusing and opaque path for him to get to where he's supposed to be, or at least on the right path towards where he's supposed to be. He had moments of faith. He had moments of really incredible and miraculous growth and then moments of abject failure. But I think perhaps the greatest moment of failure that we can see, came during the time of Christ's death. So as the disciples finished their famous Last Supper, uh, they headed towards Mount of Olives, which I've actually been to, which is pretty cool. Uh, And Christ warned the disciples that they would fall away. And we see this in Matthew 19. Jesus told them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Meaning once something happens to Jesus, once he's struck, if you will, his followers, his sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee, Jesus continued. Peter declared, even if all fall away, if they all fall away and leave you, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Peter was sure in his famously brash way that he would never disown Christ. Yet as we know, his story went differently than he was predicting. After their walk on the Mount of Olives, Jesus goes off to pray and is eventually kind of ambushed and taken prisoner. And Jesus let them take him, and he tells the disciples to give in to them. And Jesus is taken to the house of the high priest, and Peter, from a distance, follows and watches what's going on after Jesus' arrest. And in the courtyard where Jesus is publicly held, some start a fire to bide the time, and Peter discreetly settles in with them. And while sitting there, a servant girl approaches him. As as Luke reads, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, talking to Peter, saying, this guy was with the guy who's arrested. Peter was with Jesus, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw Peter and said, "'You also are one of them.' "'Man, I am not,' Peter replied. "'About an hour later, another asserted, "'Certainly this fellow was with him, "'for he is a Galilean.' "'Peter replied, "'Man, I don't know what you are talking about.' "'Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. "'The Lord turned and looked straight to Peter. "'Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. "'Before the rooster crows today, "'you will disown me three times.' And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. The man who is chosen by God, told told he will be the rock of the church, is told he will deny Christ three times, but he says that he will die with Christ before he will deny him. He turns around and he denies Christ three times, just as Jesus predicted when the rooster crows. And imagine like a dramatic movie scene. Right as Peter does it and the rooster crows, Jesus lifts his head in the crowd, likely in shackles and chained. And he looks up at Peter. And Peter sees this. And he sees the depth of the brokenness of this moment. And he runs away, weeping. What an uncourageous character. What is there to learn from Peter about courage? He couldn't face the difficulties that were presented to him. I think this story in the context of Peter's life highlights a huge part of what true courage is. It's the ability to face your own mistakes and your own difficulties and to courageously take them on. See, I think that we often think of courage as facing external challenges. Someone comes against you and we fight that thing. Something faces off against you, some challenge, and you have to go to battle against that external thing. In reality, the most courageous battle possibly that we will ever face is the one within ourselves. It's the battle that we have to face when we fail because of our messed upness. Think about it like this. In our culture today, we have like a, a hater culture, right? Everyone will like talk about their haters or something. I feel way too old to say that. I'm only 27, but I still feel too old to say that, right? It's like your haters, like the people who are outside who are hating on you. And that's the constant fight that you have. Or I played football and in sports, you have like a bulletin board culture. It's like bulletin board material. If someone says something bad about your team or they're going to blow your team out or someone tweets something out, it's you put it up on the bulletin board in the lock room because that's who you're going to fight, that's who you're facing, and we have to have the courage to fight those people. That's always how we frequently think of courage. It's fighting all the bad stuff in the world that's outside of us. And when we're looking at this perceived path of progress, of going where we want to go, the hitches that we expect to face in that path are the external ones that come against us. But in reality, we have to be honest with with ourselves and say that arguably the biggest hitches or what many of the biggest hitches in the path that we're going to face are the ones within us. It's our doubt, it's our failures, it's our faithlessness, it's our brokenness. And when we see ourselves backslide as we're going up this path of progress, we see ourselves backslide, if you will, we may think that the fight all of a sudden isn't for us anymore, that we aren't good enough to embark on the path. I know for myself at least, uh, one of the most kind of frequent scenarios in which I feel uncourageous is if I fail at something and then I continue to make strides and then I fail again at that thing, it's like I thought I was supposed to be past this, right? or I'm supposed to have grown by now, if I can't deal with myself, then how can God have equipped me to deal with the challenges out in the world? See, but Jesus, he's not just looking for people who can face the challenges out in the world, he's also looking to find people who can face the challenges within themselves. See, all of us are broken. All of us are messed up. But Christ is choosing those broken people, to join him in his plan to make a beautiful and renewed creation. But he has to choose those who can face their brokenness because all of us are broken, but he wants to bring about a beautiful creation through us, the broken people. God is choosing the broken people, but he needs people who can face their own brokenness. Jesus could have called anyone to be his disciple, right? He could have told anyone that they would be the rock of the church, but he specifically and he uniquely calls Peter and allows Peter into the inner core and so on. He prophesies Peter's place in the future of God's plan for the world. Now, considering that Jesus is Jesus, the operating assumption is that Jesus would make the best possible decision when planning to change the world, to save it, to set up his church, he would literally pick the best person or people to do this thing. And a guy like Peter, who was chosen to change the world, who has all the information one could give him in order to participate in doing so, that Jesus is Messiah, what, his, what Peter's own issues might be, denying him, Peter still does all of this stuff. He's chosen. He has the information that he needs to be a part of this chosen plan, and he still makes the broken mistakes. Peter was broken. Now, this isn't a good thing. Because we're all broken, it doesn't make it okay. It's not okay that Peter does these kinds of broken things or that we do. But what Peter has the capacity to do is to face his own issues and his failures and look at himself and do something about it. See, when he hears that Jesus may be back from the grave, even though Peter had denied him and didn't believe in Jesus, Peter stands up and he runs to the grave to go back and find Jesus. In Luke 24, It says, when they, meaning the women who saw the empty tomb, they told all these things to the 11 disciples that were left and to all the others that were with them. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they, the apostles, did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. It sounded like nonsense, but to Peter, he got up and ran to the tomb. I find this to be a beautiful sign of courage. Peter could have felt bad about himself. He could have castigated himself. Or he could have done what Judas did and left the scene altogether. He could have backed down from himself and his own mistakes. Or he could have tried to ignore his mistakes. Instead, he confronted himself. He faced the challenges within himself of his own errors, and he stood up because he was so inspired by Christ. He had the humility to look at himself and to say, I have an opportunity to make this right. I am going to run back to Jesus, even when I was just running away from him. The path of progress is not linear, and often we're the ones who make it, A circuitous path. But Peter had the capacity to look at his own failings and capitalize on them. Now, Peter went on and he continued by the power of Christ to fulfill the prophecy that had been given him to lead the church. And we see in Acts 1 Peter standing up before the apostles, leading them into the future. He's performing miracles, he's establishing churches, he's bringing loads of people to Christ. But as one could expect, Peter continues to make mistakes. He continues to mess up throughout this process. Peter never, if you will, arrives. It's not like here was this one moment in his life that he faced and now he is there and now he's good to go. He's arrived. See, not only is our path of progress not linear, but we'll never be finished with it. We'll never arrive at the end or the conclusion in this life. For instance, Peter continued to mess up. The Apostle Paul, he tells a story in a letter to the letter uh, to the Galatians about how Peter, who had a vision to minister to the, non, uh, to the Gentiles, meaning the non-Jews, Peter was ministering to the Gentiles. He was living with them, and he was eating with them, and he was living according to their customs. But this communing with non-Jews in this sort of way was abhorrent to the Jewish people and to their customs. And so when the Jews would come and visit Peter... Peter would abandon the non-Jews who he had been living with, and then he would rejoin the Jews because he was too ashamed. He was too scared to face the Jewish customs and laws and the people who were uh, promoting those. And then he would turn around and say that the Gentiles needed to live in the way that the Jews were. See, Paul then condemns Peter, and he says that Peter's condemning himself by the way he's living versus what he's saying because he's being a hypocrite. See, Peter continues to struggle with life and with himself and with his brokenness. Now, this situation is ultimately, it looks like, redeemed. But the point, again, which I hope you're seeing, is that our lives, our growth, it's going to be messy. We're going to make mistakes. It's not just that it's going to be difficult because of the world outside of us is harsh or broken. It's that we are broken and we are often the most difficult circumstance that we will face in our lives. But I think that one of the most compelling parts of Peter's story of courage, even in his brash character, is that he had a sort of humble courage that allowed him to change, it allowed him to grow. See, our pride is often what gets in the way of us courageously facing ourselves. It keeps us from looking within and it rationalizes our issues away instead of actually allowing us to transparently acknowledge how God is calling us to be renewed from our brokenness. But when we have humility, the antidote to pride, then we can courageously face ourselves in love, in a loving way, and enter into a process of considerate change. This is what we see all throughout the life of Peter. He rebukes Jesus, but then he commits his life to Jesus. He abandons Jesus, but then he runs to Jesus. He wrongs the Gentiles, but then he loves the Gentiles. That's humble courage, facing yourself and changing One of the strongest moments of courage for Peter, however, came at the end of his life. After Jesus was resurrected, Jesus came and visited Peter and prophesied that Peter would be stretched out like on a cross and led somewhere that he would not want to go. Essentially, that he would be crucified like Christ himself. And if you remember, though, in the story of Christ's crucifixion, Peter didn't respond well to Christ telling Peter that Christ would be crucified. When he told him that, Peter rebuked Jesus, and then Jesus told Peter to get behind him. And then when Jesus was actually being taken in the garden of Gethsemane and arrested and brought to his death, Peter responds in the garden to Jesus' arrest by drawing out a sword and cutting off the ear of the person who's taking Jesus. And Jesus shouted, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Shall I not follow the plan that is set forth? See, Peter was continually fighting the plan God had because it didn't match up with what he wanted or expected. He failed both to believe and to enact the path that God had for him in the world. But Peter had enough of this humble courage to change. See, where Peter rejected Jesus' prophecy about Jesus' own death and rejected Jesus allowing himself to fulfill that prophecy. Peter accepted the prophecy of his own death and he fulfilled it. The historical tradition says that Peter was murdered for his faith in Jesus. In fact, he was crucified. But when he was told that he was going to be crucified, he asked to be crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die in the same way as Jesus. What happened between the time of Peter wielding a sword to protect Jesus from crucifixion to allowing himself to be crucified in the most humiliating way? I mean, a lot of things happened. Pe- uh, Peter performed miracles. He, he understood Jesus and God more. He understood what it meant to be accepted into the covenant through the saving work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. But I also think that we see this unique development of a humble courage, the humility to allow oneself to be humiliated. Peter resisted his Messiah, his leader being humiliated when he had to realize that the way in which the plan was going to go forward was by the Messiah being humiliated, by him being seen as shameful and worthless. Now, people would not have thought Peter's upside-down crucifixion was any sign of victory, but that brash Peter, he changed enough to understand that the symbol of defeat in the world of the path of progress, death, the symbol of defeat, has no sting in Christ. That Christ had defeated death in his courage and had given new life. And Christ had given that new life to Peter. New life that would not end in his death. Christ had changed Peter wasn't easy, it wasn't linear, and it wasn't always obvious as to how it was going to work. But Peter was willing to fight against himself to experience the humble change that Christ had for him. The path of progress isn't always linear. And because we're broken, we're often the one that we're going to have to face on our journey. But I encourage you to courage up and to face yourself in love through the loving and transforming and renewing power of Christ.